0: Thank you, Andrew. If you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Psalm 19. Uh, Karen, Karen reached over to me after Andrew read Psalm 19 this morning and said, man, that's packed, and it is, and so we're going to try to pack it in here this morning um, as we use this great word from the Lord uh, to teach us and instruct us together. Well, I really do appreciate uh, all the prayers and uh, the text that I received this past week uh, because I had to miss um, last Sunday due to sickness. It's nice when you need a last-minute pinch hitter to have a dad who's preached for 60 years. And so it was a a blessing for me to be able to tune in from home uh, on the live stream last week and listen to my dad encourage our church family, uh, to not necessarily have a happy new year, but to have a joyful one. And so we are at the beginning of a new year, and uh, it's during this time when everyone is normally thinking about resolutions, um, about changes, about improvements, how we're all going to eat better, how we're all going to exercise more. And for me, around this time of year, I'm always thinking about how I can be more purposeful and more intentional with my praying. Uh, it, it just always seems to be the case for me. I'm, I'm, I'm praying more, praying more effectively, um, praying, just for lack of a better word, praying better. For me is always a resolution on my list. I'm, I'm like the disciple in Luke 11 who goes to Jesus uh, and just says, Lord, teach, teach me to pray. Uh, and I feel that same way at the beginning of every, every year. Um, and we have this wonderful book of prayer right in the middle of our Bibles called the Psalms. Um, and this is really what it's there for. It's there to teach us how to pray. It's there to give us a voice when it comes to our prayers. And so, a couple of years ago, I started a practice at the beginning of the calendar year to, to just preach through several of the Psalms. And it was personally motivated, really. I want to pray more. I want to I learn from David and these great Psalms about prayer and allow these words from these ancient Psalms to, to teach and instruct me in prayer. And so, I started in Psalm 1, and if you're keeping track at home, so far we've made it through Psalm 18, and my goal is for us to eventually make it through the entire collection. That's the plan, and so we've got quite a ways to go, Um, but I just turned 49 last week, and my dad preached last week at 80, and so we can do this. We can do this. Um, But I'm going to spend five weeks in the Psalms uh, during January and February, and so let me encourage you in your personal time over the next couple of weeks to be reading through these five Psalms, Psalm 19, Psalm 20, Psalm 21, Psalm 22, and Psalm 23. Three of the most well-known Psalms are in this group of five, and so I'm excited for our upcoming time together in God's Word. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 has been called the greatest poem in the Psalter. Others have called it the greatest lyrics in the entire world, not just in the Psalms. It's always been one of my favorites. There are many different ways that scholars will categorize the Psalms. There are the Royal Psalms. There are the Pilgrimage Psalms. There are Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Thanksgiving, just to name a few of the categories. Another one is called the Torah Psalms. Now, Torah is just a Hebrew word that literally means instruction. Uh, it's most commonly used as the name to refer to the first five books of the Bible. However, I think it's helpful for us to think about that word as not referring to the first five books of the Bible, but instead referring to the entire instruction and teaching of God, the Torah. There are a number of psalms that celebrate God's Torah. That's kind of the purpose, the primary intention of the psalm. However, there are three in particular that are known as kind of the classic Torah psalms. And they're easy to remember because it's Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and then Psalm 119. You know, Psalm 1 kicks off the whole collection with these memorable words in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the Torah. And on his Torah... He meditates day and night. His delight is found there in the instruction of God, in the teaching of God. Then Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the entire collection, and all 176 verses of that psalm are dedicated to the praise and celebration of God's Torah, God's instruction and his teaching. And then there's our psalm today. And I've titled our study of Psalm 19 this morning, God Speaks. If you've ever wondered or asked the question, does God still speak to us today? Then David answers your question in Psalm 19 with an unequivocal yes. Yes, he does. God speaks. And in the outline of the psalm we're going to follow this morning, we learn that God speaks to us in the skies. That's verses 1 through 6. God speaks to us in his scriptures, verses 7 through 11. And then God speaks to us in our souls, verses 12 and 13. And then lastly, in verse 14, we speak. And that's the outline that we're going to follow this morning as we look to this psalm. First, God speaks to us in the skies. Now, David was a shepherd, and so he spent a lot of time outside. And as he looked to the skies, he saw a God who speaks. Have you ever looked up at the sky either during the day or at night, maybe it's a sunrise or a sunset, and recognized it as God speaking to you? We read in Genesis chapter 1 on day 4 of creation that God spoke the sun and the moon and the stars into existence. God said, let there be... And there was. And David tells us in Psalm 19 that God continues to speak through their existence. So God spoke them into existence, and God continues to speak through their existence. In fact, in the skies, God has been preaching the longest continuous sermon in the history of the world. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. It's a sermon that began on day four and continues until today. And at times, you think my sermons get a little bit long. But God has been preaching this sermon to us day after day, night after night. And the primary topic of this creation old sermon preached by the skies is a good one. David tells us in Psalm 19, verse 1, that the heavens declare the glory of God. There is a subject matter for the sermon in the skies, and it's the glory of God. Paul would write in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, in other words, the glory of God has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. You know, I have I've always I've always been amazed by the skies. So much about the heavens and the skies uh, are are just simply remarkable to me. You know, one of the things that uh, is is remarkable to me is just the sheer number of galaxies in our universe. Try to think about this with me. Our solar system is part of the galaxy called the Milky Way. And just the Milky Way alone, our little galaxy, contains between 100 and 400 billion stars and at least that many planets. And that's just in our galaxy in our little corner of the universe. Now, did you know that scientists are now estimating that there are around 2 trillion galaxies in our universe? Can we just all agree that's remarkable? Just the sheer numbers, just the size is mind-boggling. Now, have you ever thought that perhaps all of these galaxies are just sermon illustrations? David tells us the heavens are preaching a sermon about the glory of God, and each galaxy is just another illustration of the unending, immeasurable glory of our God. Then in verses 5 and 6, David focuses on the star of the show when it comes to our skies, the sun. And the language David uses to describe the sun is some of the most beautiful imagery in all the Psalms. Listen, this is, this is so good. He describes the, the sunrise as a bridegroom bursting forth from his tent on his wedding day. Is that a beautiful picture? Every time the sun rises in the morning, it's, it's like a bridegroom bursting forth from his tent on his wedding day, with such enthusiasm and excitement. What a wonderful image and then in a switch of imagery the sun races across the sky like a warrior across the battlefield like a champion across play it's kind of like describing the sun as a as a defensive back intercepting a fourth quarter pass and running down the sideline 79 yards for a touchdown to win your team's very first national championship in 41 years. It's just kind of like that. Each and every day, like a bridegroom bursting forth from his tent and like a champion running across the field of play. What beautiful imagery. It's just incredible, the description of the sun in this the sun daily in this way proclaims, preaches a sermon about the handiwork of God, about the glory of God. You cannot miss it. One author asked this great question If the art hanging in the skies is glorious, how much more glorious the artist himself? You see, in the skies, there's a sermon about God's existence and his power and his glory that's so inspiring and so eloquent and so convincing that it should lead every human being to believe in God. We are without excuse, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Verse 6, David writes that nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. Just like we're unable to hide from the heat of the sun, we're unable to miss the point of the sermon. We have no excuse. There is a God, and He's full of glory. God speaks to us in the skies. Second, God speaks to us in the scriptures. The skies tell us about the glory of God. The skies tell us about the existence of God and the power of God. But that's not the whole story. The skies cannot speak to us about attributes like justice and mercy. The heavens cannot declare to us about John 3.16. And so what David has learned from the skies causes him to leads him, pushes him to go to the Scriptures. You see, David shows us the way. This should be the progression of every human being. Between verses 6 and 7, there's a transition from the skies to the Scriptures. And I don't want you to miss the movement happening in this text. When our gaze upward brings us to the conclusion that there is a God who's full of glory, then our gaze should move downward to the Scriptures to learn more about this God. Came across a great quote this week from uh, Charles Spurgeon. And here's what he said. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work. And feels concerning them, my Father wrote them both. I love that. Brings that connection between God who speaks in the skies to the God who speaks in the Scriptures. So the movement here between verse 6 and 7 is from the world book to the word book. From volume 1 to volume 2. The skies speak to us about the glory of God. The Scriptures speak to us about the goodness of God, about the goodness of God. In verses 7 through 9, David uses six titles here that are all synonymous with Scripture. Law, he uses first. That's our word, Torah. And depending on your translation, there's statutes, precepts, commands, fear the Lord, ordinances. And then he shares six attributes that are all synonyms for good, perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure, and altogether righteous. So it's impossible to miss the point. Six times in six different ways, David proclaims that the Scriptures are good. And just like he did in verse 5 when he used imagery to attempt to describe the glory of the sun, David again here uses imagery in verse 10 to describe the goodness of the Scriptures. He writes that Scripture is more precious than the world's most precious commodity. More precious than gold and not just gold but much pure gold. And it's sweeter than the world's sweetest delicacy. Sweeter than honey, and not just honey, but honey from the honeycomb. So if you could choose between either all the money in the world or this, choose Scripture. If you could choose between a lifetime supply of crank and boom ice cream or this, to Scripture. And just like the glory of the sun and the moon and the stars and the trillions of galaxies point us to the glory of God, the goodness of Scripture point us to the goodness of God. You know, similar to the quote about the artist of the skies, if the words written in Scripture are good, then how much more the goodness of the author himself? Then, lastly, in verse 11, David highlights the good purposes of God's instruction, of God's teaching. The author of this book wants good for our lives. David writes, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. So we are both warned and we are rewarded. The purposes of God's instruction are good. My favorite uh, John Bunyan quote. He was the author of Pilgrim's Promise. As this, this is a good one if you've never heard it. He said, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Isn't that true? Haven't you seen that in your own life? You know, God's teaching is not meant to harm us or to hurt us or to make our lives miserable. God's instruction is meant both to protect us from the devastating consequences of sin and to encourage us with the rewarding results of obedience. The purposes of God's instruction are good. And so, God speaks to us in the skies, and God speaks to us in the scriptures. And then, third, God speaks to us in our souls. There's another transition that occurs between verses 11 and 12. And just like the transition from the skies to the scriptures between verse 6 and 7, this transition is from the scriptures to our souls. And again, David shows us the way here. What David has learned from the skies causes him to look to the scriptures. And then, what David learns from the scriptures causes him to look to his soul. One commentator describes the movement from upward to downward to inward. Another author describes the progression from nature to scripture to character. And here's what David sees. Here's what David finds when he looks to his soul. Verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent, innocent of great transgression. You see, the skies speak to us about God's glory. The scriptures speak to us about God's goodness. And our souls speak to us about our guilt. David turns and looks inwardly. And all he can see is errors, faults, and sins. David uses three different words here to describe what he finds in his soul. He sees wrongs that he's innocently committed, errors. No one goes out onto the baseball field and intentionally to commit an error. Right? Errors are innocently committed. They're wrongs that we commit innocently. And then there's willful sins. There's wrongs that he's deliberately committed. He knew it was wrong and he did it anyway. And then there's hidden ones. There's wrongs that he doesn't even know he's committed. And that's what he sees when he looks inwardly. Church, you know that you're on the right track when the glory of the skies and the goodness of the scriptures lead you to the guilt of your soul. David writes these words in Psalm chapter 8 verse 3 and 4. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? Son of man that you care for him. You see, nothing humbles us quite like the glory of God. We we consider God's glory in the skies, which leads us to consider God's goodness in the scriptures, which leads us to consider the guilt in our souls. And this should be the progression of every human from upward to downward to inward. And so what do we do when we have followed this progression and we find this piled-up guilt in our souls? Surely there's something we can do to make everything right. Well, once again, David shows us the way. By pointing us to the only proper response in verse twelve, he says, Forgive me, forgive me. Forgiveness is the only cure for the guilt in our souls. And how does David come to this conclusion? How does David end up at forgiveness? Because God speaks. And the God who speaks glory in the skies... And the God who speaks goodness in the Scriptures, this same God speaks grace into our souls. Can you hear him? Can you hear Jesus on the cross? with the weight of all the sins of the world on his shoulders, saying to his father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you hear him speak grace into your soul? David could hear him. David could hear him because David knew. He knew God is a God who speaks. And it was God's message of grace that led David to recognize his need for forgiveness. Then David concludes this psalm with this famous prayer, verse 14 says, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God speaks. May the words we speak be pleasing to him. What great words. What helpful words, what instructive words for us? I don't know how you've thought about that question or perhaps how you've answered that question. Does God still speak? I hope David has helped you with that question today, if that's a question that you still bring on your heart. God speaks God's forgiveness is the only cure for our guilt. Can you hear him speak grace into your soul this morning? May his glory lead you to his goodness, which will lead you to his grace. Let's pray together. Father, so thankful for these sweet words. Thankful for, uh, I'm thankful, Lord, that you are a God who speaks. There's no, there's no question. This, this, this precious word that you've shared with us today leaves no doubt, leaves no question. You've been speaking in the skies since the beginning of time. You speak to us through your scriptures, and, Father, you speak into our souls of your grace. And so, Father, I pray, as Jesus prayed, that you will open up our hearts. Open up our hearts, Lord, that, you, that we may hear you, that we may know you, that we may live each and every day for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if there is someone uh, here who would like to respond uh, to the message this morning, if, if you're here, um, and perhaps you, you're, you're hearing for the first time, God, speak grace into your heart. We'd love for you to respond, to come. We'd love to pray for you. If you want to be baptized today and put your faith in Christ, we'd love to be a part of that as well. Whatever your need might be this morning, let's stand together and sing.